Welcome to CMIO Podcast, a show devoted to educating and informing those who are making healthcare easier for others. Whether you're involved with informatics, analytics, or new technologies that make the lives of our practicing clinicians better, this show is for you. My name is Dr. Mark Weissman. I'm a practicing physician and CMIO and the host of CMIO Podcast. And today I have with me Dr. John Lee, who is a CMIO and an expert in 5G. Is that fair to say, John? Welcome to the show. Well, I don't know about being an expert. Though. Just, <laughs> That's okay. You're, so, you're so the most expert at it that I know. So Okay. All right. <laughs> so, hey, if you would, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, where you're practicing, working now, and how you got into 5G. So I am a Chief Medical Information Officer at Edward Elmhurst Healthcare outside of Chicago. And I do all of your standard CMIO stuff, run a lot of governance, do a lot of technology uh, strategy and implementation, training, so on and so forth. The reason why I got into, well, I don't know if I'm actually into 5G, quite frankly. I just happened to stumble upon being invited to a 5G education session run by Chime, the, the CIO Professional Society. Mm-hmm. And I think I got invited because I happened to attend a 5G focus group at the last Chime event. I think it was in, yeah, it was in Phoenix. And there was some discussion that went on and it was your typical focus group. And I thought that I would not really hear much more about it afterward. But then I got this invitation to attend this event in Dallas, actually. And I thought I, I was a bit intrigued. And I also knew that I didn't really know that much about 5G. And I'm really glad that I went because it really educated me on a lot of things that I would not have truly considered previously. Well, that's one of the reasons why I really was hoping to get you on the show because most of us are not terribly familiar with 5G other than the commercials we see from T-Mobile on the television. So you are the expert in the CMIO community now So, because I did see an article you posted. I think I picked it up off of LinkedIn and it was a really good article kind of giving an overview of your thoughts of that conference. So give us a little bit of background then. For those who aren't familiar with 5G, what's it about? Well, the reason why I wrote that article is that as I sat in those Chime education sessions, it occurred to me that my previous impression or uh, assumptions about 5G were really not completely wrong, but wrong enough that it my, my attitude on how this technology is going to be used in, and in particular, how clinical informaticists should approach looking at this technology and strategizing about it with their organizations, it did change how I uh, view things. And in particular, one of the things that I realized that 5G is not a monolithic technology. And prior to that, I thought, prior to going to Dallas, I thought that 5G was very similar to the jump from 3G to 4G. It was just going to be way, way faster and we could do a lot more stuff and download an entire movie on your on your cell phone within a few seconds as opposed to waiting for uh, several minutes. And what in particular was educational about attending this session 
uh, held by Chime, was that 5G is not a, a single technology and, and is, has multiple variants, and particularly the, the very, very high-speed wavelengths and forms of this technology, that is really intriguing to me because not only is it really, really fast, but it also has some pretty severe limitations. So that then colors how you should implement and strategize how to use this. How this technology is limited is that the very, very short wavelength, the millimeter wavelength, cannot penetrate really much of anything. It can basically go through line of sight air. And so if you have even a curtain in the way, it will be disrupted by that. If you have your hand in the way, it will be disrupted by that. So that is severely limiting, clearly, because if you're thinking about 4G just a thousand times faster and you just have a cell tower in the middle of town and you're thinking that you're going to get these gigabit speeds, I think you're uh, a bit... Uh, mistaken in those assumptions. For instance, I think Sprint and T-Mobile, they are not using the millimeter wave technology. They're using something, either the exact technology is what they call sub-6 or or something similar, where there is a compromise between how far the, the signals can go and the speed. It's still far faster than 4G, but it doesn't give you that gigabit speed. And I think that's important, particularly in uh, medicine, because there are a lot of applications where we will probably be using lots and lots and lots of data. And think of like virtual reality type of or augmented reality type of applications or radiology workstations where there's like 3D renderings of very detailed MRIs and CT scans. So what occurred to me is that those really high throughput applications, the best application or the best form of 5G technology could be thought of as not necessarily these delivery of these signals over long distances at very, very fast speeds, but very fast speeds delivered over shorter distances and really kind of as a substitute for Ethernet with a little bit of mobility. So an example would be, let's say that you're creating a uh, PAX workstation for your radiologists, but you don't want to necessarily run Ethernet cabling to multiple workstations. And you want to be able to uh, flexibly create multiple workstations at some point in the future so that maybe this room has two workstations, but you want to add three or four later. And what this uh, technology allows you to do is to be able to create that and just have a single antenna in the room and essentially future-proof it so that you don't have to run extra wire. It's that sort of thing. Or we had an issue recently where we had anesthesia carts that our service and technology department needed them wired because of all sorts of technical hardware issues. But... Clearly, the anesthesiologist wanted to be able to move these things around as much as they uh, wanted to. As it turns out, we had to tell them because of the technical limitations. But in this sort of situation, if you used 5G, you could actually have a high-throughput, short-distance antenna in the operating room, 
and you could actually move that uh, card around as long as you abided by certain limitations. So again, I think these high throughput use cases are you have to really engineer and think about before implementing them. Hmm. So is it better than Wi-Fi? Because it sounds like a very similar use case to Wi-Fi, uh, if I'm interpreting this right. Well, so the thing the, the thing that I realized uh, is that the throughput is actually very similar to the the new Wi-Fi standard. I think it's Wi-Fi six. I'm mm -hmm. not, I'm not entirely sure of the terminology, but the newest generation of Wi-Fi does give uh, gigabit throughputs. However, Wi-Fi is kind of an open, basically it's a wide open pipe and you can just cram as much stuff as you want to through that. And there's uh, a significant um, uh, disadvantages in terms of signal purity, a lot of interference, and the stability of the signal as traffic comes on and off the, the Wi-Fi channel. One of the engineers showed me this graphic of what happens to Wi-Fi uh, signals when there's a lot of traffic going on and off. And it looks like uh, torsade. It's not a nice, steady, strong signal. So th that's fine if you are not concerned about having a, a very uh, mission-critical, steady signal. So for instance, like an anesthesia cart. And in that case, in the past, what you would have to do is say, okay, well, we know that we would rather have uh, a wireless signal, but we need to have the purity and the reliability of an actual wired cable. What 5G does is allows you to have that and dedicate that single lane of, of electronic traffic dedicated specifically for that device and you have complete control over the uh, quality of that wireless signal to that device. And so that's why I think about particularly millimeter wave 5G as not a better form of 4G, but as a wireless alternative to wired Ethernet. And I think that's conceptually is how we should uh, um, think about it. Who was there? educating the the audience was this from telephone companies or was the cios or where was it who's the source yeah so i was the only cmio there uh, okay there were several cios there were a lot of uh, it was co-hosted by uh, hci the consulting company mm -hmm. chime and also at&t so there were a fair number of at&t engineers there there were at&t uh, and hci strategy people there and it was uh, really interesting because, and which is one of the reasons why I wrote that article is because I think it's important for us as CMIOs to be able to at least understand some of this, some of the basics of this technology so that we can guide uh, the strategy and the implementation. Because they, they were going off on some, in my opinion, on some pretty wild shiny object bents that didn't make a lot of sense to me. And like, for instance, one of the touted benefits of uh, 5G in the future is being able to do remote surgery so that you could theoretically have a surgeon with uh, very micro haptic sensitive gloves 
looking through a like a, a, a three-dimensional headset and then actually feel like they're actually doing surgery. Mm. But if you've actually ever done surgery, one of the problems that you have with doing this is that even if 5G is as fast as the millimeter wave gigabit speeds, you still have to deal with the, the speed of light. And for any of us who've been on, say, a WebEx, you know that there's a sub-second delay there. And if you're doing uh, surgery and you, let's say you're di dissecting through some tissue and a piece of a fibrinous tissue you think is fibrinous is actually an arterial, you know that even that sub-second delay could be catastrophic because then you cannot react instantaneously and put pressure on that. And that delay can all of a sudden cause your uh, field of vision to be uh, completely uh, flooded with uh, blood and then it's hard to recover from that. So I do think that there will be some role for some sort of remote augmented surgery, but what will happen, I think the best use cases would be with a surgeon on the other end. So for instance, our uh, community hospital has a problem with, what do we do with pediatric uh, neurosurgery cases? Let's say a kid comes in, they end up having an epidural from some fall. We actually have to transfer those patients out. And, but if you know anything about epidurals, you don't have that much time. So we're then left with a situation well, with, left with the alternatives of, do we wait? Do we do a delayed surgery, which is not a good option because with epidurals, you really only have on the order of half an hour-ish to respond. And if you're in Chicago area traffic, that patient's going to die. The other alternative is to have an adult neurosurgeon do the surgery on a kid, there are some real problems with that, both in terms of practical and familiarity with doing surgery on kids and also medical legal, because that kid likely is going to have some sort of bad outcome. And then you have now uh, foisted upon uh, a colleague, an adult neurosurgeon who's doing their best to uh, take care of this very, very uh, bad situation. You've now given him huge medical legal risk. Now, instead, if you fast forward, if you have uh, some sort of 5G infrastructure in place, you now put a headset on that adult neurosurgeon, you put a headset on a pediatric neurosurgeon who's uh, 25 miles away, and the pediatric neurosurgeon can essentially maybe do some of the surgery, but the, the person on premise, the, the adult neurosurgeon, can be that expert first assistant who can stop something or adjust in that sub-second time frame in case there is something that does occur. That's, I think, the, the place where something like that has application. And that's why I think uh, CMIOs really need to be aware of and understand the technology and help guide the applications. So I'm thinking of a use case where if I have 5G 
and I'm playing Call of Duty against my kids that I have a significant advantage if they do not have 5G. So that's my use case that I came up with. <laughs> but what, because I, I get killed otherwise, what use cases did they come up with besides a surgical one that you think has a chance of making it, that, you, that intrigued you enough to say, okay, I could see that happening one day? Well, so there's the concept of some sort of remote medicine maybe extending physicians out to locations or uh, situations where there isn't a physician, like with a paramedic, or um, like they, they mocked up schematically a situation where the ambulance arrives, the ambulance has an actual mobile CT scanner, patient has a stroke, you scan the patient and because of 5G, you can transmit that image to a neuroradiologist within minutes, and you can actually do the ex exam and go through all the contraindications with the patient remotely and actually have a delivered TPA before the patient even arrives in the ED. Now, yeah, that's interesting. I've seen some of these cities now that have CT, mobile CT scanners, these things, it's these huge ambulances, but that's an interesting use case. I could see, yeah, you've got a lot of data that you need to move and get out of there. Any others? Well, so the problem I have with that is that's a pretty narrow use case, and that's a, it, that's a huge capital investment. Unless you can think of other ways, other reasons for the, a CT scan to be remote like that, I'm not sure that that's really yeah. practical. But other use cases would be, I, I recently read about a rural hospital that or a former rural hospital and a community that went got was up in arms when their rural hospital closed. I think it was like a 10-bed hospital, mm -hmm. critical access hospital, and the beds were almost never filled even to 50% capacity. So they closed it because nobody was using it, and everybody in the town was afraid that, that some catastrophe would happen. A year later, they realized, well, maybe this wasn't so bad. It was a huge white elephant. And we can still get most of the care that we need. And in, in a situation like that, they can get 80 or 90% of the care that they need. But what about the other 10%? Imagine situations then where, uh, let's say there happens to be a kid in town that needs some sort of subspecialty care, or even actually in remote areas where they have difficulty getting any physicians there, train paramedics even, or advanced practitioners to be that town doctor and then be able to do remote physical exams or other data intensive types of delivery models with a physician who's 50, 60, hundreds of miles away. And now you don't necessarily even need a whole constellation of critical access hospitals. Hmm. So. If I'm thinking about this right, it's not that I'm going to be walking around with my cell phone, at least within the next few years, be, and picking up the real high-end 5G signals because I wouldn't be able to use it in my house. So I wouldn't be able to, unless I ran antennas through every structure that I have. So I can put it in my hospital, every room would need an antenna. At that point, you just, you're wired, basically. Is right. that the right way to think about this? This is not going to be the cell phone tool of choice. Right. So I think the technology that 
T-Mobile and Sprint are putting out in terms of their version of 5G mm-hmm. is not the gigabit speeds. It's in the, I think their speeds are in the tens to hundreds of megabits per second, as opposed to the single digit uh, megabits per second that we have with 4G. Mm-hmm. So it is still orders of magnitude faster than what we have right now, but it's not the, 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 enormously high speeds that you can get with the millimeter wave. And I and that is actually quite important because as we structure uh, and design our healthcare facilities, we have to keep that in mind. And and actually after going to the session, I I now understand what they were talking about when they uh, talked about Rush Presbyterian St. Luke's Hospital here in Chicago and how they designed the hospital with 5G infrastructure. And it made no sense to me when I first heard it. It's like, well, you know, okay, well, you have really fast cell phone antennas, mm-hmm. big deal. But it's, it, it is far more complex than that. And I think having those sorts of designs in mind is what is going to be really important going forward. So to roll 5G out across the country, that requires probably all new infrastructure, the whole backbone for getting signals from one point to the other. I I guess T-Mobile, they're putting up new towers or something. Is that what they're saying? This is going to take some time to roll out because of the infrastructure requirements? Well, I think, yes. And and that's what happened with 4G. But I think it's the, the tower issue is particularly important because of the, the transmission limitations that are inherently part of the physics of 5G. Did they talk at all about some of the security concerns? You'll hear it in the news about foreign governments being able to, if they're supplying the chips for the 5G that they could eavesdrop. Did that ever come up at all or is that uh, not relevant? No. That, that didn't come up in our discussions. Although one of the reasons to use 5G is because of security. Again, think of it as a, as an invisible, really, really long ethernet cord. And if you think of it that way, that helps conceptualize the, the differences in the, both the security and the reli- signal reliability versus Wi-Fi which is something that we're uh, all very used to. Yeah, sure. Uh, Wi-Fi is, if it's not secured properly, someone can hop on that pretty easily. This sounds like it's going to be significantly more difficult. As I think about that invisible Ethernet cable, that's not so easy to tap into. Anything else that we should know about 5G? No. I mean, as I said, I'm not not an expert, and I I, I put that, that piece out mainly so that other people would get the same sort of revelations and understand the same re- revelations that, that I got from going to that program. And I'm very thankful that the Chime sponsored me to go out there because it was, it really was very educational. I, I went with a little bit of a question as to whether it would be worthwhile, but it, it, it probably was one of the most worthwhile short educational programs that I, I've actually uh, ever gone to. Yeah, I think it's great to go occasionally to just something that's outside of your main everyday activities of clinical decision support and governance and just to broaden your horizon about new technology that's coming in. 
because you're right, no, this is not something that we're getting trained on. It's not something that um, we're likely to pick up on the job training. It's something that, hey, hopefully one of our colleagues is getting some knowledge on it and can talk about it. So I'm very thankful that you came on the show today. I think this has been phenomenal. If people want to reach out to you to get any more information or just talk other CMIO stuff with you, how could people reach you? You can reach me through LinkedIn, or I have a Twitter handle uh, at jsleemd, and I'm uh, probably more active than I need to be. But I, I get a ton of additional information just from all of those social media sites. Well, John, I want to thank you. You've done a phenomenal job at educating us on 5G. So you get to keep your title as the 5G CMIO expert. That's a very, very, very small crown. <laughs> we'll let you wear the crown. Okay. All so right. thank you for listening to CMIO Podcast. I've been your host, Dr. Mark Weissman, and you can reach out to me on LinkedIn or email me at cmiopodcast at gmail.com or go to the website at cmiopodcast.com. Send me your ideas for shows, guests you'd like to hear from, general feedback, or just to connect, and I look forward to bringing you our next episode. Thank you.